ground. We're back. Another week. Another great guest. We got drummer of Jerome's Dream, Eric Rattensperger, on the pod. What's up, Eric? Hey. How you doing? What's up, guys? (laughs) Good to see you. Happy. You didn't didn't do the right pronunciation. I didn't do that. Eric's dad's going to be mad at you. I know. I know. The, uh... The, the 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 execution was flawless. So kudos <laughs> you to you. Know, hey, I've gotten I've gotten I've gotten better at intros. It's 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 always tough. I, I prepare and then I just as soon as I, that intro starts to fade out, it's uh it's game over. <laughs> hey, um, I mean, you know, how about this? It's a casual. F- oh, go ahead. <laughs> Amnesiac is the best one. Uh, we're done. We nailed it. Thanks what? everybody. Uh, all right. Thank you all for listening. Coming out. Um, See you guys this later. This has been amazing. All right, I'm gonna get some dinner. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, uh, it's yeah. uh, I don't know. We we have fun here, I guess. <laughs> but, I, or we're gonna start I mean, any many minute now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. uh, yeah. What's I mean, up? It's good. It's good to see you. Good to have you on. You got a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, good to, good to meet you guys. Um, thank you, um, very much for inviting me onto the pod. It's, yeah, of course. It's it's always fun to chat, you know, with with fellow. I don't know, punks, hardcore <laughs> enthusiasts. Uh, <laughs> actual podcasters i mean i'm an aspiring podcaster as yeah you know, talk about, about it you offline, just dropped but, that on us yeah, you sprung, five seconds before <laughs> you sprung that on us right before the intro like well you could introduce me as a fellow podcaster well, as well if you, yeah you know but let's, so uh, let's yeah. talk about the show yeah yeah, yeah. i right, it's, well, it's new I to mean, me so give us the uh, give us the pitch god all right well i mean no pressure <laughs> if you really want to if you really want to just get to the podcasting um yeah, I mean, I, I started a podcast as well. I don't know. I think it was uh, 2019. I had, um, I think I had just gotten back from a string of, of, of touring, you know, a string of just weeks of touring, was around a lot of cool bands. I'm like, you know, I should just, I should start something, you know, because yeah. I was just meeting a bunch of bands on the road. Um, and it was a minute before JD had, had toured. So it was the summer of 2019 when we were brushing elbows with just a lot of amazing bands. And at some point, I decided to to start a podcast, and Sean from Loma Prieta was my first guest. Um, and the funny thing is, is that Sean is now in Drum's Dream, which is amazing. So amazing! Uh, so how about I can't that? wait for us to join on this next tour. <laughs> Apparently, that's how this works. It's a, it's all a recruiting. Technique. Hey, it's all community. You know? Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah! So, so what's uh, the strategy? Yeah. What's, what's the, the podcast about? called? So the podcast is called Microspy, and uh, the origin of the name actually came about from you know the earlier days when drums dream was kind of first around in the late 90s early 2000s um it's kind of the origin is kind of funny because when we put out our second record which is called presents um in the liner notes i put microspy bmi like you know the royalty collecting agencies like bmi yeah. scap yeah, uh, yeah all that like the, the songwriter i thought we were uh, being yeah songwriter royalty like collecting, yeah, basically a business la, la, la. for collecting uh royalties and and things like that right so the so the the, the 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 comical aspect of that was we were never registered with bmi <laughs> or any kind of uh royalty i mean come on you know it's just uh it was more so for optics, but it was just kind of funny because I didn't at the time I didn't even know what BMI was. Yeah, I just thought it looked really professional in the oh, liner yeah. notes. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but Microspy was just like a a name that was floating around, and then you know, cut to I don't know, eighteen years later, I decided to resurrect the name, and now it's kind of both serving as a podcast slash 
record label, but the, the, the label side of it is really just the band's label to kind of reissue stuff um, that we've done in the past. So we did a second press of our 10-inch, um, I, I think it was in 2019, so we kind of put that under put that out under microspy okay right. well, there you I, have it. I, I gotta I tell just, you i'm looking at the uh i'm looking at the episodes right now and i feel like a fucking asshole for not knowing that it existed <laughs> until right now Why? i don't know man like you've got you've got a couple of uh of our dream guests on here justin pearson um hmm. jeff howe of reversal of man like that's my yeah. guy i wish um more importantly <laughs> You got Mike York, who we got. Ooh, that's right. You oh. you got Mike York too. I fucking love that guy. Yeah, that was yeah. such a fun episode. What and did you guys talk about? We, you know, we kind of reflected on. It's it's funny, you know. Of course, we talked about punk and hardcore and music and creativity, but you know, the the one thing that really stands out to me about that episode or conversation rather was just the importance of gratitude basically. And so what happened was Mike and I, uh, well the band like, like JD, we basically mm-hmm. toured with pianos, uh, last November, we did like a, a string of shows on the West coast and Sean, um, has been friends with Mike for a minute now. You know, they, you know, Loma and, and, uh, pianos become the teeth of, yeah. have, played a, a bunch and um when we were on that tour we just became fast friends it was a, it was a thing where like we were just having hangs you know in the back of the van like just drinking drinking a couple brews and, and like just talking about life and stuff and mm-hmm. when we were having this one conversation it was actually in vegas i remember um and i said to him i'm like yeah man we we gotta do a podcast you know we gotta do an episode and it was actually the first episode i did since the pandemic because when really? the pandemic hit i kind of i just kind of lost any kind of creative spark or inspiration and um at least when it came to the podcast you know it just it was hard for me to even wrap my head around trying to have conversations about music and creativity when we didn't really know like what the next day was going to bring yeah um but so anyways that kind of got tabled for a minute and you know fast forward to now um mike was my first guest since bringing it back after a couple of years oh that's so, awesome yeah it's cool yeah. that you guys talked with him too yeah he's he's such he, a he's such a great person i can't tell you i mean i know i think i know i've mentioned it on a couple of patreon episodes but like i'd never listened to bon Iver. like he came on we talked about bon Iver, and yeah, I, uh, I listened to it to the conversation a bit yeah, yeah it's that record still blows my mind daily every (laughs) time i listen to it it's such like so grateful to like yeah to have that yeah it's 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 uh that was a fun conversation with him yeah and it it is interesting because it's happened a few times where people brought on records that didn't quite click and then they become kind of like micro obsessions you know a little bit Mm -hmm. and that's what have you been listening to lately I don't know. It, it's weird. I'm I'm kind of a weird one because, you know, I, I definitely try to keep my finger on what's releasing and what's coming out. But mm-hmm. I also kind of have, you know, sort of my staples. Uh, like 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 just recently, De La Soul finally got all of their catalog streaming on Spotify. Really? Oh, I heard about and that. And for yeah. the longest time, it just there was only like a few songs or some people like put up some some like uh, playlists of theirs or something. Um, right. 
but yeah, now like three feet high and rising and stakes oh, as high yeah. is up. So like, I've always, I've been a real fan of like nineties hip hop stuff for mm-hmm. forever, you know, I mean, since I was, I was a kid. And so I always find myself returning to that type of stuff, you know, Beastie Boys, De La, um, you know, Diggable Planets, Nas, Camp Low, oh, like, like the whole gamut, you know, yeah. um, the list goes on, but yes, since that kind of went up on Spotify, I may, I don't know exactly when it went live, but I saw mm-hmm. someone post like a finally type of a uh, post and I was like, shit, I, I should check it out. And it immediately brought me back to my, my childhood. You Seriously. Know? That's awesome. Yeah, I can't and, think um, whenever I think about nineties, especially that era nineties hip hop, it's like completely intertwined with skateboarding. So I like hundred percent, I hear stakes is high and I immediately hurt myself somehow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know about you. There, there was a really great documentary that I am going to try to find while I speak. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it's about it. the rise of skateboarding and the rise of hip hop kind of happening, happening simultaneously in New York in like that era sure. late 90s early yeah. 2000s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you grew up in connecticut right i did yeah yeah so you were right <clears throat> there. there yeah i was kind of um yeah i was talking to someone about this recently just uh actually with regard to hardcore um being a kid in connecticut i felt like when we were younger in that during that time you know like mid 90s late 90s we kind of felt sort of the the energy coming off of new york Mm-hmm. you know so in terms of new york hardcore and, and all that and um so yeah connecticut i mean we were lucky to be sort of sandwiched between boston and new york and we kind of it, it's like connecticut was almost like a it was a middle ground for for the major cities and we got lucky because back then a lot of bands were coming through including de la soul and camp low i mean i actually saw them play i think it was in 95 or 96 and those guys played this DIY sort of all ages club called the Tune In, and um, I just thought it was just so cool to see. It was like my my first hip hop show, and I must have been like mm-hmm. sixteen or something like that. And it was just it was just so rad that they actually stopped stopped through Connecticut. That's gotta be wild. Yeah, were you going to it like was, hardcore yeah. shows and things at the time? Like, what was? the kind of crossover like in terms of experience because i i didn't go to too many hip-hop shows uh i was mostly in in the punk and hardcore world so what was it like kind of being in a different scene a well, little bit i mean I, it the thing is it, it was i mean kind of to what you were saying about sort of the the parallels between skateboarding and hip-hop yeah. and of course punk rock and hardcore i mean t- at the time it, it was kind of all the same you know it all it all felt new it all felt kind of underground and the 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 venue i'm talking about the tune-in um you know they had ska shows they had punk shows they had hardcore shows hard uh they had you know hip-hop shows they had all kinds of shit coming through so um i was predominantly going to punk shows you know at that time that's yeah that's what we were doing and um that show in particular with with daylaw just happened to be a bonus you know um so yeah yeah, it it was it was it was cool it it was a really um i mean again pre kind of like pre-internet stuff you know it's it's like you you have to be on the ground to kind of see what's going on Mm -hmm. you know you have to be in the venues to see what's going on and um yeah to to see de la was a real treat for me um Mm -hmm. because i was i was a big fan but 
yeah, yeah. That, that's right the, the documentary is uh, called all the streets are silent the convergence of hip-hop and skateboarding 1987 through 1997 uh, oh, that's cool. my that's I, I my favorite that era, and it's it's apparently uh, it's on Hulu at the moment. So go oh, check it out. Yeah. I think no I, I think I had a friend who did the color grading for that actually, Ooh. which is which is cool. Oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah, check it out. I'll, I'll look out for that. Yeah, it seems like it's a a rad kind of thing. It's a lot of like the downtown New York skateboarding scene of like that crew that were like, in the movie Kids and stuff like that. Like Harold Hunter yeah, Larry, and that whole Larry, the Larry Clark, the Larry Clark fam. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So um, apparently, there's a lot of crossover yeah. with that, which is pretty, pretty wild. Definitely. But yeah, I actually wanted to jump back real quick when you're saying about like that era right before the pandemic and like during that time, just being because this is something I like found to be a lot with my like creative friends and, and myself personally was just like during the pandemic that severe lack of motivation and inspiration mm-hmm. was such a bizarre thing because if you think about it it's like okay now we finally have like time you know <laughs> and a lot of us like myself personally i mean i'm a photographer who does a lot of event work events were illegal wasn't doing many many event work and things like right. that uh so it's kind of that weird paradox of like having time to do things but lacking the motivation and the inspiration to do them and yeah. uh i i was actually doing a different podcast at the time that kind of we started right around end of december of 2019 and then kind of kept that going through the you know through the pandemic so i do kind of have a record of that and it became kind of like mm-hmm. a weekly check-in but it was very interesting like my co-host like march 6th was like oh man i have this crazy sinus infection i can't like smell or taste anything (laughs) so like there's a record of that which is pretty wild but yeah it was it was a bizarre time where it's like wow i finally have all this time to like work on projects and and these things kicking around and then like just no motivation to do any of it and uh yeah it, it it was a weird time um especially the the earlier days of it you know um I mean, you know, I, I find myself talking about it still, you know, with, 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 you know, new friends and just people all around. It's like, it's still a point of conversation because even though the, the, the vibe has shifted mm-hmm. and like, you know, our understanding of where things are going or how things are going to be going forward, it's like, we, we kind of know what we're working with more or less. But during that time, there was such a level of uncertainty that yeah i mean that kind of led at least for me and probably so many others like just not being able to focus not being able to yeah. pick up a guitar or want to like you know uh, it just yeah it was there was a moment where it was just it was fucking depressing yeah. you know oh for sure and and you know i think it wasn't until uh when the vac- the vaccines were available did we even consider getting back into a rehearsal space because even yeah. like the idea of going into like a fucking gross rehearsal space i just didn't want to do it do that even with masks yeah and uh we eventually did and then so uh, i think it was around um i mean I don't, I don't know exactly when we started um getting in the space again to write and and practice but that almost became sort of the routine at some point, like once a week, twice a week, we were going into our space and it just almost allowed us to sort of forget the outside world. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then we were eventually able to get into that creative rhythm again. So we, we were all really grateful for that. Yeah, that was that was something I found, too, was like, I felt better once I started pushing past things and kind of like yeah, forcing yeah. myself to go out and like take walks and like rediscover mm-hmm. areas and like bring my camera and just like take pictures of stuff that I, like, I normally wouldn't be interested in photographing or like trying different films and different techniques and just yeah. trying to push yourself over this barrier. And then like once, like you said, like once you got into the rhythm of it, it kind of started to flow a little better again. And I think yeah. I was pretty fortunate enough to kind of push past that pretty early. So I was able to actually kind of reap some of the benefits of things being more accessible while still being less accessible, but like, you know, enjoying things that are less crowded or like going to like, an, I went on a road trip and was able to book things for super cheap and, and visit yeah, like national yeah. parks and things like that. And, you know, it, I, I, Everyone, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I feel like totally. I tried to do the best I could, which is still better than a lot of people. Because I feel like there's still a lot of people, you know, and, and some people have, have good reasons that are still kind of scared to do stuff, you know? Yeah. But, uh... I mean, I mean, I, I truthfully haven't gotten COVID yet, which is crazy. That is crazy. Um, hmm. it, yeah. took, it took so a while, it, but it took me about two years. But mm-hmm. luckily at that time, after being, I think, I think I got two vaxes at that point by the time i got it it was pretty mild but that's good yeah yeah it's uh it's yeah crazy. I, th- I i think um i think that's cool to hear i mean so yeah i mean with with that said it's like yeah there there are some silver linings to this dramatic shift obviously it doesn't come without trauma and yeah. confusion like I, I think even just talking about it now you know sort of in a normal context like you know we're all kind of back back to it right more or less mm, yeah but it still comes up in conversation um you know it's almost like we're all still kind of processing what happened these past couple of years oh and yeah it's like you know definitely pros and cons well there are hardly any pros but in the sense of or in the context of like creativity making the best and, of what you got yeah exactly i exactly yeah. it's it's I, very funny there was a thing on twitter i don't know if you saw but like i think some some uh research thing said like oh the actual repercussions on like mental health during the pandemic is like less than we imagined or something like that or mild and and then people were like quote tweeting it with like the weird pandemic projects that they did and it's just like people like truly losing their mind i thought that was a really funny kind of collection of of things like you know people dressing up their cat as as political figures and and whatnot it's like this is not the project of someone who's who's not going through it at the moment (laughs) it doesn't seem to be going well if you're doing that Mm -hmm. um unless that brings you joy yeah Yeah, exactly maybe maybe that i mean dan well i don't understand why you have to yuck people's yum (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying i i think it's a you know it it's more of a personal thing to decide whether or not you were doing well at that time, you know, not a broad study by the government. Right. But, but yeah, thank, thankful that we're all kind of back to it. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel, I'm feeling pretty good these days. You know, it's, it, the, the pandemic is sort of on the sidelines. I mean, I've got my own, uh, my, you know, a, a slew of other things that I'm worried about and thinking about and, and but, you know, such as life, but mm-hmm. pandemic stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm as careful as I can be. I'm definitely less, um, 
I mean, because I know the numbers are going down quite a bit too, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still mindful of it when I when I go out there. But then again, you know, when you go to shows, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, you know. And we're about to go on tour, and and I don't know a month or two, and uh, I I do think about that on occasion, like, oh man, like, am I gonna fucking am I gonna get it on this tour, like? But well, I I want us to keep optimistic. I mean, yeah. you can't let this shit you know dictate what you do or don't do at this point I yeah, think. seriously i mean my yeah. my grandma was 93 and she got it and she was fine so you know amazing it's, that's yeah great to i hear. mean that seems sort of lucky right oh i mean for sure it's not the uh not the norm but i'm you know i'm saying yeah. I, it seems like it's getting milder you know and the and the, mm-hmm. the repercussions are less uh you know fatal i guess <laughs> mostly just seems yeah, like kind I of mean, a bad cold i know andrew you've gotten it a couple times right it was just the once um you know but i think they've got us right where they want us um so you uh have a new record coming out let's talk about that um the gray in between the gray in between that's correct fuck yes iodine um, records the second iodine records uh, artist we've had on this yeah, one we've had a few iodine friends oh nice nice so so you know you know casey or you, you've spoken with casey i imagine no, no but we'd but, love to talk to him uh, on oh, the you podcast <laughs> you should well you should have casey on you know he he's a real he's a real one um you know it, it's kind of cool because yes so so yeah this this record's coming out on iodine casey's mm-hmm. label um but the cool thing about this whole relationship that we have with him is that his label when he first started it in the in the late 90s um we somehow managed to get on a compilation that he put out with bands like you know cave in and converge and uh garrison and a slew of others a um, bunch of nobodies got it yeah just you know just some <laughs> just some fucking some local ca- bands yeah, just a local, comp, casual you know? local bands yeah but it was kind of cool how we um started communicating again with him and you know he he reissued that record i mentioned earlier presents um mm-hmm. which we put out in 2001 originally and then he expressed interest in wanting to do a repress for its uh, 20th anniversary that's wild so we did that with him uh in 2021 and yeah and then here we are uh about to put out an actual new record on May 5th and we couldn't be happier to be doing it with him. So yeah, we're rad. super excited and yeah, can't fucking wait. You did this record with Kurt Ballou? No, oh. we recorded this record with our friend, Jack Shirley, who is friends with Kurt. Um, the, you know, it's all a small, a small world, but yeah, Jack Shirley is based in Oakland. Um, we recorded with him, uh, the past, two records we made so we made the gray in between this new album and mm-hmm. then we recorded our sort of return lp that came out in 2019 with jack um but so we've we've been we've been friends with jack since then and um it's kind of cool because i live in san francisco jeff lives in san francisco um jack is in oakland we're all kind of in we're just we're here in the bay area so it's kind of nice that we have a, a little a little gang here Oh man, now I feel bad for making you like hop on at five thirty. It's it's happy hour. What am I doing to you? <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I did, realize I you did were notice West Coast. that you have a couple yeah, of. Yeah, holy uh, shit, that should have been the first. Uh, let's talk <clears throat> about let's talk about Oakland. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, I mean, so 
Well, I was, yeah, I mean, I was, um, I was in LA before I moved here. So speaking of the pandemic and stuff, I actually moved here in uh, July, 2020. Oh, wow. um, I was in LA for a few years before then. And so, uh, yeah, I moved right smack in the middle of the pandemic and I actually, um, I moved into Sean's old apartment. So Sean and, and his partner, they, they got a house and they, they moved out outside the city and you know, the timing was perfect. And he's like, do you want to move to SF? And I'm like, should I? He's like, yep. And so, you know, four <laughs> weeks later, I just, I, I moved because, you know, at the time LA was, it kind of ran its course, you know? Um, yeah, LA is wild during the, the pandemic. The, yeah, it was really like fucking, it just felt kind of post-apocalyptic. And yeah. I, I just, you know, all of, all of my friends kind of dispersed. Um, yeah, it just that chapter in my life just ran its course so mm-hmm. it was a perfect opportunity to come up here and since i've been up here um i it was just the best decision that i've made you know um being closer to jeff being closer to sean and just the overall vibe up here it's been great so yeah you, you got um, all your money back from the silicon valley bank you know you're doing good oh yeah right <laughs> <laughs> I can't, you know, honestly, like, if you want to talk about just, like, everything going on in the world right now, it's just too much. Like, every time I I open up a a news app or something, I'm just like, I just can't, I can't, I can't with this, you know? Yeah, Yeah, that's why it's so fun to have this podcast where you just ask people about, like, what they had for dinner, you know? Yeah, I can tell you. (laughs) Truth Social is blowing up today. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, what's what's the worst current news? I mean, like, I I gotta be honest. I don't give a fuck about the bank. Like, let them all fail. I don't care. I don't oh, give a shit. Yeah. I, I really. I was just saying this recently to to the guys in, in rehearsal. I'm just like, you know, man. I just want to sell a couple T-shirts. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, I don't fucking care. Just buy some merch and I'll be happy. Like, See, I that's, just that's a little different. I'm looking to disrupt the T-shirt space. Yeah. You me know. Too. Oh. So I'm yeah. thinking of maybe like a subscription service, you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll, Eric, we'll talk after. Do you, do you do you crap do you crack down on uh, bootleggers? Not really. No. I mean, uh, what are you gonna do? All right. Because we know? got some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> we're putting our uh, we're we're putting out an episode on a on a ten inch shaped like a skull. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> oh, it, it may or may not that glow in the dark. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it'll never stick. Yeah, it'll never right. stick. I was just um, looking at Discogs uh, to see uh-huh. how much the current going rate for that is. Like, I feel like, I feel like that was the original Bitcoin. Like the <laughs> the skull shaped vinyl was the original crypto. Uh, honestly, it yeah. is really funny how in the zeitgeist that having that in a collection was like a marker of taste. It's huh. it's very. Yeah, I actually, I mean, do you know the podcast? How long gone? Um, I do. If you're asking, is me. that with um, uh, who's that with? Jason Stewart and Chris Black. Uh, yes, yes, and yeah. uh, they like, like they're old hardcore guys, and yeah, they right. they've like mentioned that uh, ten inch. Oh, that's funny. on episodes yeah. before as like uh, that's hilarious, like a signifier of like being in the know of a certain thing, you know. And it's it's mm, so true. funny that that's oh such God. like a Dan. How many have you had? How many of that? I've had zero. I've been trying oh, to I've, find. I've it. had th- I've had three come you through my three. hands at one time <laughs> or another. Oh, you could be putting your kid through college with that, you know? Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. You know, it, it's crazy. It's yeah, crazy uh, to think that about like? that record. 
I mean, what's mm-hmm. that like to have? This is like, it's an object. You know what I mean? It's art that is genre defying. You know what I mean? If there was a Spotify screamo playlist, that's what the image would be. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, how does that feel to be part of like that huge legacy? Now that I put you on the spot, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Yeah, I'm sorry, I gotta go. No, no it's, it's uh, shit. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's it's really weird to think about how how much this whole thing that you know a certain amount of bands were a part of and that mm. kind of were able to, I don't know, pique the interest of like younger kids, younger punks. Like for some re- I, I think, you know, honestly, it, it was the internet, you know, people putting this stuff up on Spotify or whatever they're sharing on, on whatever, you know, message platforms and stuff. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I still don't under, I don't, I, it's, it doesn't register with me how people I, I can't possibly understand how people actually perceive it because yeah. when mm-hmm. i look at that record and i think i have three of them right above me on a shelf somewhere um not the glow in the dark though i just have the, the red and the black oh the print. rare the rare the red one okay yeah um <laughs> but at the time when we made that record um you know, it was just a group of kids trying to push the envelope, I guess. And it was super collaborative. I mean, obviously, you know, JD, Orchid Split. But then the guy who was running Witching Hour Records, this guy, Christopher Williams, you know, I think he had some, like, crazy idea in, like, trying to do this die-cut record with one side screen-printed. I can't re- I don't remember who came up with the idea of, you know, one band playing from the outside in and then one band playing from the inside out. But, you know... All the stops were pulled out, and then you know Chris Chris Norris um, from Reversal of Man and uh, Combat Stake Mountain. You know he mm-hmm. did the artwork for that, so it's cool to look at it now as as older gentlemen and to reflect on just how that was even pulled off. But yeah. I more so look at it as like a marker of time, you know, because I, I I can I can like think about sort of all the back and forth and and what what everyone was saying like i i think a fun fact was um i think will killingsworth the guitarist of orchid i think at, i think at one point he came up with this idea of wanting the record to be the shape of a like a baseball bat <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't think i don't know how that would work but um yeah we we opted for the uh the tried and true skull so yeah. there you go i mean it it is it is pretty cool though how that became just like a signifier of like a, this this moment in time in this type of music and then that also kind of yeah. leading to like a validation device of like if that's records in your collection you kind of you know what's up but uh also like uh jack white eat your heart out you know third man records could never make a make a screamo record like that <laughs> uh yeah, yeah it, although that would be interesting but yeah we we talk a lot about that era on this podcast um I would say more than most, but then I saw the guests that you have on your podcast. So yeah. <laughs> maybe the second most, but you know, like we bring up a lot of like the level playing era of like New York and that and that time yeah. of of all those bands. And I think I think we might be able to safe to say that we've mentioned Discordance Axis on this podcast more than any other podcast. Yeah, multiple times. Sure. <laughs> Number one Discordance Axis fans. Look. Yeah, yeah. You if, know, if you have weird. any connections to those, we can get those guys on the pod, you know, let us I let think, us know. I, I, I think don't, I, but <laughs> Yeah. 
I think I care so much because it was the first, I mean, as like, you know, well, I was, I was 16 in 97, you know what I mean? Like it was the first kind of hardcore that was like important to me going mm. into adulthood. You know what I mean? It was the first, it was yeah. like smarter than most of the hardcore that people listened to. Um, it helped me be pretentious, uh, in ways that I didn't think were possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like well, I was like walking maybe around, a little, maybe even a little sassy. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. Very I mean, maybe, yeah. Maybe not sassy, but I would say yeah, I was definitely sassy. I was the kind of, I was the dude like going to shows with a backpack that had like, I don't know, French philosophers in it, think hoping someone would ask me what was in yeah, there. Yeah, I, I went the more oh. traditional white belt, uh, white belt bandana route. Oh, so. You think that's traditional? Right. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> wow. I think I think it all works. Um, you what? Let me. What was the first hardcore that was important to you? Like, you know, I think it was. Like, what was the first question, evolution be- of the genre that, like, you know, what I mean, what 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 was your sixteen year old hardcore? It's funny soul. No, I mean, at the time, and I think this has a lot to do with being on the East Coast, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of New York hardcore bands were in the mix. And, you know, I was, it's funny, the first band that comes to mind is Snapcase of all, of all bands, you Dog. know, um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Snapcase for me, you know, I remember discovering the tape, the cassette tape of Looking Glass Self. Mm -hmm. And there was something about the guitar playing that just got me with like all the harmonics and like it it had this kind of groove that uh, it just, it felt different than traditional hardcore. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of was drawn to that world of Victory Records and I was like, okay, if Snapcase is on Victory Records, who else can I discover? And then, you know, right. uh, Earth Crisis, of course, came up and Strife, which, you like, know, I, I was, I liked Firestorm, Earth mm-hmm. Crisis' Firestorm. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like a huge fan of them or, or even Strife, but, but, but Snapcase for me was like one of the bands that kind of, kind of hooked me, you know? And so... When again, when bands came through Connecticut, um, I'll never forget this show. Um, and I've talked about this show with with my friend Jeff, who was the bass player of Orchid. Um, he was another Connecticut kid. I mean, Jay Green, the singer, and Jeff Garlock of Orchid were actually Connecticut based as well. When we mm-hmm. we all grew up going to the same shows together. Nice. But anyways, we went to this um, not together, but we were at this show that we later realized uh, it was 1995 New Year's Eve, and it was Snapcase. Dead guy and refused. What a fucking in, in show. Connecticut, and it was yeah, it was like a New Year's show, and Snapcase headlined. Is that screaming first? Is that screaming huh? with the dead guy quintet era? I think it was before that. I think <sighs> screaming with the dead guy quintet era was like ninety seven with okay. the new singer. Yeah. This was still with uh, T- Tim Singer, I believe. You know, <sighs> kiss goodbye, and um, but dude, it was. I'll just never forget it. That was like one of the most impactful shows of my earlier years, you know, just seeing these bands that were in their prime. And then of course seeing refused, uh, I think that was their first time in the States. And that was actually the band that just fucking knocked me, knocked me over like Mm -hmm. that, that as a drummer and as a younger, you know, a younger kid wanting to be a drummer, wanting to be a musician. When I saw those guys play and, and that drummer was, was just, 
I mean, that's where I was just, I could not believe that this was happening where like hardcore really felt like it was a, a, not a movement, but there were so many fucking kids and it was so nuts. I'm like, this is, this is, this is it. You know, this is, this is it. A lot of um, people forget that, uh, refused was a victory band. I mean, like not, it's easy to forget, but like yeah. <laughs> that record's so that guy. fucking good. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost, uh, it was a I'm, good time. <laughs> when I, I didn't do it, but when I was on stage for the Axe to Grind uh, live podcast in Brooklyn, I almost uh, wanted to be like, yo, shout out Tony Brummel in the back and like have the whole room snap their head backwards, but I didn't do it and I, I kind of regret it, but that would have been very funny. I oh, did man. shout out the Snapcase snare though, so there was some justice. Served. Oh, I mean, that snare, <laughs> you know, speaking of that snare, changed which my life. That's sounds for sure. awful. I will change my life too. I went straight to Guitar Center and bought myself a three and a half inch piccolo brass snare, piccolo. baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Piccolo Ping. life. We, I think yeah. I, me, we like bought one for the drummer of my old band. I don't think it ever made it on any recordings, but like just the Good. idea of like having like two floor toms and then having two snares was so Dude. appealing aesthetically to me. And the Zill Bell, you know, just to hit it right before the mm-hmm. breakdown. Oh, man. Hell yeah. Bringing it back. Yeah, that was a good time. But, um, <laughs> That's but, you like know, the worst time of hardcore. Oh, this is my favorite time. Yeah. Just just like, just know it. Like, you, you need a signifier, like a Pavlov's dog, but it's like when the, the right. breakdown's about to happen. My mouth's oh, gonna yeah. start watering, you know? Yeah, the single yeah, China very crash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But those um, those days, you know, uh, just, again, just being in Connecticut, we were exposed to so much like metalcore stuff. Um, and really, what 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 I noticed was when Hatebreed came on the scene, you know, because Jamie Josta was he his first band was called Josta Fourteen. They were a, a New Haven based hardcore band. Um, you know, just I don't even know how to describe them. They were just like old hardcore stuff but mm-hmm. but anyway Jamie corny, went on. it's okay we know <laughs> no i mean they were kind of the hometown heroes when, when we were if, younger. He, if he ever wants to go back to Connecticut, he can't say that oh that's true i'm sorry <laughs> satisfaction still is the there, greatest so. record ever created hey listen to our satisfaction <laughs> episode with a friend of the pod michael brucey nice um but you know hate breeds shows uh they were becoming so violent yeah you know and that was a part of the scene that i just couldn't get down with i'm like this Mm -hmm. this is now not working for me like i don't want to be at these shows where i see kids fucking wearing like you know like the the things that boxers wear the the mouth guards are like (laughs) you know it just became too much of like a macho like testosterone pool of just it's like i'm like i'm good and so like around you know 97 or yeah, I mean, 97 is when JD started, but we were, you know, we were plus, I mean, me, Jeff and Nick at the time and, um, you know, a bunch of other people in the scene, we were kind of looking for other stuff. You know, we were looking for other, we were looking for an alternative to all of that shit. And that's when we started getting exposed to more weirder music. I mean, we were like intentionally trying to seek out, um, you know, just well, kind of like what you said earlier about just like how... You know, when you just when you were discovering kind of like you know emo or like chaotic hardcore or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, screamo, uh, it 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 was the opposite of that kind of like you know beat down hardcore vibe. 
Yeah, yeah it was the opposite something... of like macho, you know, like yeah. exactly. skinny jeans exactly. and and you know really small t-shirts. You know, uh, during that time, more than anything, I just re- remember thinking how sad I was to have the hair texture I had. Everybody <laughs> had this like really full hair that like. <laughs> You know, well, what it were like you rocking? bobbed perfectly. My my hair was too straight. I couldn't tell you what what style I went for. Hats mostly. Oh, I was yeah. I was full, hardcore. I was full flat iron Hat swoop core. with the with the spiked up back. I, yeah, I was, but not I was in like wow. not in like two thousand. No, this was like two thousand six. Flat ironed. Oh wow. That's, yeah, yeah. I went. I went commitment. all in. I was. I was a. Dan's my, also like thirty years younger than us. So. <laughs> I'm thirty five, uh, so yeah, that's about right. Nice. But uh, <laughs> turn that right back around on you, Andrew, yeah, cool, motherfucker. Man. But uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, yeah. I was very much of like the MySpace era of of that sure. like chaotic hardcore. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, actually, like, I kind of missed out on that. I kind of like I w- I kind of wasn't around. I was sort of unplugged during that kind of you know mid two thousands. It's stuff if i could talk about that for a second it's it's been really interesting because now Mm -hmm. there is like a breed of bands that are inspired by that era of music which is something you'd never think about and i mean it's it's the same for anybody who has like oh this band sounds like you know like every band that sounded like fugazi after fugazi you know and it's kind of like Bands kind of bringing back the sasscore element, bands like CU Space Cowboy and even like Callous Dowboys, uh, newer stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, like this band sounds like Drop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> like, uh, this band sounds, uh, you know, like stuff like the Blood Brothers. And, um, mm-hmm. it's really cool to see, uh, that kind of era being brought back in a weird way. Cause yeah. it's like, you know, that was the area that I was going to a lot of shows at the time. And, my my taste was pretty eclectic. All it all fell in the alternative category, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like uh, there's a really good um, there's a record label called Wax Vessel that does a lot of like really cool, crazy variant records, but they do just like single repress of all those bands from that like MySpace mm. era that never had like a vinyl pressing, or even a lot of them didn't even have a physical album. You know, it was very much of the yeah. pure volume era or MP3.com era. So a lot of stuff never made it beyond like a CDR, and uh, he's been take the guy who runs the label has been taking stuff from that era and giving it a proper vinyl release with like new artwork. That's really cool. Commissioned it feels, and it feels predatory. No, I mean it's very much <laughs> it's very much of you know working with the bands to do it and basically saying like, mm-hmm. hey, I love this music. It never got beyond a certain audience. I want to kind of at least give it to the people who care. Feels and predatory um, towards the fans. I mean, it's it's a cool venture though. It's done with a lot of love. You can really tell because the guy puts a ton of effort into it. But you know, he's putting out like, uh, like this weird electro grindcore band, Kentucky Waterfall, that I was a big fan of, hmm. and like bands like from the Midwest, like black metal, uh, scene of like Destroyer, Destroyer, and an apparatus, and um. There was one recent, like he did, like waking the cadaver, like put out their like discography, you know, on on vinyl, and it's it's pre- with like new commissioned artwork and stuff. So it's it's very interesting and it's very specific to that era of that type of music. Yeah, and did yeah. Steak Mountain do it? Do the do the cover? Oh, I don't know. Well, then I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it it's it's cool that like there's things like that 
kind of coming back and there's people who care about it enough to kind of act as archivists and act as historians like looking to kind of push it further but i, I do think, i think that's super cool yeah I yeah because that know, shit's important you know there's a lot of those it's bands that were people's favorite bands and a lot of it just gets lost to time you know and you know old media fire links stop working and oh my god this is true there, there are certain bands that like when myspace did their big i mean this is now years ago that they did it but when they did their big like interface refresh and they like lost almost i think it was like 75 percent of their music archive like there's stuff i'll never hear again that like for some like only existed on that platform and i'm sure the people who are in those bands a lot of them don't care or don't think about it and just like have never thought about putting that out anywhere else um i mean my old band andrew's old band we did an episode where we talked about our old bands on episode 50 here and gave people like dropbox Hmm. links to download it (laughs) And I never checked care? how many people downloaded. I never it. checked I, I either. Don't think, I don't think I want to see. It's fine, um, but it's it's still like it's, you, it's giving people an option. You know, it's, can it's, I uh, can I tell you a year two thousand story? <laughs> that's a good segue. Yeah, I have a couple um, more questions, so don't segue just yet. But wait, are you serious? Do you know what time it is? I know what time it is. I just wanted it's fucking. Th- it's fucking radio well, head time. We, we were talking about ethos and things like that of the era, and I just wanted to get a quick. Um, kind of explainer or or like what was your thoughts behind because like a big thing of drum's dream was always the legend of the live performance you know that's that's (laughs) the thing a lot of people talk about but like you did very specific things that kind of set you apart from other bands at the time and again you were saying like how that era of music was very much about believing in certain things and and kind of going against the grain and Mm -hmm. i mean famous most famously is your singer didn't use a microphone which is insane to think. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, refusing to play on a stage and then also kind of playing with your back turned to the audience. Uh, maybe not you specifically as the drummer, but that also brings to mind the early like Zayo performances where the drummer did play with his back to the audience. And yeah. some of that is like some of the coolest live footage like ever. Um, but yeah, like what was the idea kind of around all that? There is no... There was no real idea. There was no real sort of deliberate kind of choice. It was mm-hmm. kind of just like what we did when we were kids. It okay. was just sort of how we operated as awkward, you know, young, angry kids. Like, God, Jeff I fucking did, love that. You know, the guys didn't want to face the crowd. And of course, it was misconstrued a lot of the time, you know, like we were, we were, a lot of people were, they didn't like that. You was know, it like an like, anxiety thing or? I think so. I think it it was a thing where when we started this band, it was very much a thing that we just kind of, it, it's like we wanted to play shows. We wanted to like be in the mix to like share the thing that we were making. But when we were doing it, it was such a thing between the the, the three of us that it's almost like this is how we play during practice. Mm-hmm. So please watch it please you're you're welcome to to be a part of it you're welcome to watch it but this is just kind of how we are as a unit and this is just how it is like we're not you know they weren't like okay we're gonna face the crowd and you know it it was a different type of connection and i can i can understand in retrospect like how i think it alienated us you know to a to a certain degree because a lot of people just didn't understand it 
but we just kind of stuck with it and did it the way we the way we wanted and um and we still do i mean that's that's why i love the idea of punk you know it's like you write your own rules you do it the way you want to do it you mm-hmm. create what you want to create and if people if it resonates with people that is so cool it's it's like the coolest thing when when you see people into your stuff but you know selfishly we we kind of just put ourselves and our own needs first and then like the performance aspect second you know it was a real it was a thing where we were just like fucking really sad angry kids (laughs) and we put it into our music and i still am yeah hey you know I mean, I think that, Ang- I think anger, that is, anger could be turned into a positive, you know, I think, I think it's a, good to have a chip on your shoulder. Cool way to look at it, though. It's like you're almost like letting the audience in on an intimate moment for very you know, much. Yeah, very much. Very like much. You, we're letting you watch us play music. Like, I mean, and again, have you ever have you ever rehearsed uh, like you're in front of an audience or have you always not 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 you, Eric? I know the answer to this, but Dan, <laughs> have you ever rehearsed like when you were in a band? you know not facing each other i think it does make sense i think we had i think i think we did a bit um your band would have i know we we had (laughs) stomp boxes and light boxes and all kinds of shit you know again putting on a on a performance but uh as was the time of uh, you know mid 2000s (laughs) as as was fashionable as as was tradition yes yes um yeah i know i think i think that's really interesting whether were there any repercussions uh to not using a microphone that that's the thing that is blows my mind i mean like can he can jeff speak now <laughs> and also yeah, like he has he could, has a great speaking voice could the he crowd hear it is the thing i never got to see you guys live so yeah i mean you know the the difference between now and then is um you know we were playing a lot of basements mm-hmm. um you know vfw halls just kind of where you played that's what that's what you yeah. did and mm-hmm. um yeah, we were never playing in front of that many people. I mean, we would be stoked if there were 50 people in a room. Yeah. You know, that was like a, like a good turnout. And, uh, you know, we'd be lucky if we sold one or two t-shirts. But, um, you know, so, I mean, what happened was there was one show when Jeff was using a microphone and he got shocked and he got so fucking pissed off that he kicked the microphone across the room. And ever since then, he just never used one. He's like, I don't fucking need this. He's like, wow. I don't need the microphone to do what I need to do. Because again, he wasn't, he never talked to the crowd. It was always mm-hmm. me because I was facing everyone. I was mm-hmm. like, just say, you know, hey, thanks for coming to the show. Yeah. We're JD and that's it. And then we would do our thing and that was it. And Jeff just wouldn't talk. I mean, he would talk to people afterwards. But when we were in that headspace of playing, yeah. it was a very, you know, I mean, I can imagine why it would be kind of hard to watch because it's kind of an enclosed circle. Yeah. And, you know, when your backs are turned to people, it's kind of, it's kind of off-putting, you know? Yeah, but I think... But Jeff... Hmm. Oh, no, with, like, also, though, that coinciding with playing not on a stage, though, it kind of allows the crowd to kind of gather around that circle yeah. a bit, too. So it kind of puts people in inside of the thing a little bit, you know? Yeah, totally. I don't, I don't know that the crowd has to be... Like I mean, feel I've, involved. I've seen like the saddest landscape perform kind of similarly, mm. you know, very yeah. tight people kind of around on all sides and similar idea. So, uh, I mean, I, I mean, think, I think that's how cool. it was. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think just what it was as an expressive platform, you mm-hmm. know, the band, what, what purpose it served. Um, 
you know, it was just that moment. I mean, we, we played really short sets back then too, you know, like maybe 15 minutes, you know, but we would just be so fucking in the red full throttle that that's like all we had. It was just a burst of this angry, sad energy. And it, it just was what it was. And it's not like we were, you know, I don't know if we were good or bad, but it didn't matter. We just, we just kind of did the thing we did. And, um, you know, we were, we were against it for a long time. Like when we were first a band, you know, we weren't really accepted in the scene, like the local scene and stuff. Like a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of bands just didn't, they, it, it was just hard for us. Like we always felt like the underdogs, you know, we always felt like we were going upstream and then it wasn't until, you know, we started touring a lot. And then, you know, we, um, you know, we eventually became friends with a lot of different bands like, you know, Orchid or, you know, even page 99 or like, I mean, there's so many countless bands from that era that we were lucky enough to, to meet and play with. And suddenly we started we started to find ourselves in this kind of community of bands across the country. And a lot of these bands are still talked about now. So that's kind of crazy to me. So when you talk about like the, the skull split and how like it became sort of this collectible or whatever, but mm-hmm. for us, that was just one piece of the whole of that era of, of our playing music. And um, yeah, I mean, it still blows my mind to look back on those days. And sometimes they've, they feel really far away and sometimes it feels like what where we are now in our creative pursuit it's almost like just a continuation and it feels like that shit was yesterday you know? hell yeah it's weird hmm. that's dope yeah man you so know it, it doesn't feel like yesterday the 2000 what? story you're gonna say the year 2000 <laughs> uh i'll never forget Friendly. we had a family emergency Somebody been trying to call the house all night and they couldn't get through because I was busy downloading <laughs> Kid A. <laughs> it took about nine hours. Um, Dial up, the, baby. My, the family member was okay and I never was again after hearing this album. Oh my God. Man, there's yeah. got to be support groups for that. <laughs> so, yeah. We're in one right now. It's yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what a podcast is. It's just podding through the trauma, baby. Uh, mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> so, yeah. What uh, what made you pick this album as as the one you wanted to talk about? It just I don't know. I mean, I, lately I've actually been I've been kind of digging back into Radiohead and Kid A in particular. You know, I I, I put on a couple songs and it just kind of brought me back to when it first came out. You know, and it's a record that. You know, you want to talk about like a signifier of like a moment in time. You know, I just felt that that record in particular um, was more than just like a, a sonically creative shift for Radiohead. You know, I think it was an entirely different mindset for them in order to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of how I looked at it. And um, so, I, I, yeah, I thought it was just a it would be a cool record, or even just the idea of of Radiohead as a as a group of musicians. You know, just how they were one thing one minute, but then they became this entirely different output that became Kid A. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, it, and there's also a level of nostalgia, too, because I th- what, it came out, I guess, I think it was 2000. Mm-hmm. That's a long time ago. And it's weird, that, that, that record still sounds fresh to me. Oh, my God. You know? It hasn't aged today. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think pop music has caught up yet. 
I mean, it's, you don't you don't think what pop music? Has I think it up runs yet. in parallel but separate uh, to pop music. You know, like sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I it I'm still like late to the party, but I I really love Bjork, and I think Homogenic yeah, is is too. my favorite Bjork album, and mm-hmm. they quoted that as one of the main influences for this record and it makes a lot of sense because i think dj shadow had a lot of lot to do with the homogenic record and i think they cited that again like tom got really into that side of like electronic music and aphex twin and things like that right and you know that those fingerprints another one yeah Mm -hmm. and those fingerprints are all over this record so like enjoying that stuff i think i mentioned in the email when you brought it up it's like radiohead never quite clicked for me and right. listening to this with an active ear for the podcast um i think it i think i'm i'm a convert you know which is is great to That's feel awesome to hear yeah and it's it's a. Uh, I gotta say i've listened to it in the car a couple times and then i like listen to it on a walk with headphones and it's a like a very rewarding headphone listen yeah like almost sure, yeah. leagues apart from like a you know, a car or, or like stereo listen. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't way, know yeah. that I've listened to this like in, in, in its entirety, not in headphones ever. Now, really? you know what I mean? Now that I'm thinking about it, although wait, this like was as, a double a 10 listening. inch, right? Hmm? This was th- a double 10 I inch. May, may, I think oh. it might've come, it might've come out as that okay. some kind of fancy vinyl. I don't know. I've never listened to it on vinyl actually. Um, yeah. Because I think I had a double ten inch of it, um, and, that's that, and that's the only thing do. I could ever think of that I would listen to not in headphones. Interesting. It got me turning because I, I have a really nice big stereo that lives at my parents' house because it's the only place it fits, and uh, it's like I kind of want to listen to it on. Is it in their living now. room? No, it's in my old bedroom. So, so it, it, no one uses it. Just me when I'm at my parents' house interesting yeah how do they nice. feel about that space being taken up it's it's still my bedroom <laughs> i'm home fair my parents only live an hour away I'm, i was just there for like three days over the weekend hmm. that's nice i have work that happens down there we had a nice little family dinner my niece is down there so i visit a lot but you know when i'm there i, I put on records and literally the only records i buy are ones that like blow me over away enough that like makes it like i need to hear this on vinyl and this this might mm-hmm. end up being a purchase so it's uh, uh is there did they is there a repress of it is it in press i mean i guess i would assume i'm sure it's probably it's, i'm sure it's just something that yeah, never I mean, never leaves the presses at this point you know? well like like you said you know i feel like <clears throat> it's a record it's it's in the pop realm because it, it was obviously and still is super popular but yeah it's kind of adjacent to traditional pop music it's still kind of like this i i also feel that kid a and amnesiac are those records that uh, it's like yes everyone knows about them but it's, it's still they still feel really special and it still feels like when you're listening to it you're listening to something else other than like yeah. some kind of mass pop group well on spotify kid a is their fifth most popular record get out of here yeah uh i mean okay computer is number one yeah that um, doesn't surprise me but pablo honey's number two and rainbows three get and the, the fuck the, out and of the here. bends is four no yeah. i mean maybe maybe creep as a single probably pushes that far there beyond. is yeah. zero there is a zero 
0.0 repeating chance that I mean, Pablo Honey is Creep Creep has over half a billion more streams than any other song in their catalog. Half a Fuck. billion. It's 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 one Dude, point. That's gonna be what like five cents. In it's royalties one point one three billion streams. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, you gotta you gotta do creep. It's due. It does have the best guitar sound of all time. Just that children is like mm-hmm. that little half second is maybe the best guitar sound in in like the history of rock music. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you there. (laughs) Um, Cheryl Crow's intro to it, if it makes you, and I'm not fucking kidding you. That guitar tone at the beginning of if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. is the greatest guitar tone. It's like clean, but gritty. It's fucking play. It's fucking incredible. Play it right now. (laughs) Really? It's fucking wow. incredible. This is your holy grail guitar tone? That's the tone? Yeah, it's, it, it's so good. It's got such clarity, but it's got teeth to it. It just sounds like the, the <laughs> bomb. Sounds, what, what fucking no-name bands have you sounds, idiots ever it been in? Like Get a, the fuck out of here. It sounds like a Boss DS1. <laughs> Don't judge me. That's a Boss DS1 song right there with like a G hey. chord. You know what? I, hey, I if it resonates with you, that's all true. The power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I do have to say space. that Don't song. Worry. That song has ten percent of the streams of creep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's insane. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't you know, know if you it know, makes you happy, Andrew. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> No, no, no I'm never doing this podcast ever again. <laughs> I'm so happy to be the witness of the uh, the fall yeah, of the, the podcast. Yeah, the fall this of is our the empire. Break up. <laughs> right, literally running into the ground right yep, now. Yep, oh yep. man. Uh, I'm, over here, I'm just trying to figure out how cheap you can get a copy of Kid A for. Yeah. You know what? I think yeah, it's what fuck saying? you dollars. Um, and was it a, t- a double ten inch? Is there a it was it was there? available. It was originally released in double ten inch, wow. and then it was mm-hmm. a uh, and a, then it was a single LP. twelve inch. Yeah, um, yeah. it's very funny when you mention the, the this. fiscally responsible way to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's really funny when you you mentioned doing this po- uh, this album because like a few days before you emailed us, uh, someone posted on Twitter the office intro, but the music was Idiotech. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, it would have been such a different show. And it's now that's like colored my entire perspective of of this record. But I gotta say, I think Idiotech. I don't see that. I'll, I'll send it to you. Don't worry. It's very. It's. I play it on the podcast, but it would just sound like Idiotech. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's. I think that might be my song on this record. Not to kind of rush to the end, but uh, I think Idiotech might be my track of this record. Just because I I was reading about his he had such bad writer's block doing this record, yes. That uh, he just kind of started taking idioms and like sayings, and I think he referenced um oh my god what's the Talking Heads record where all their faces are like obscured with red? What is that record? Well, I, I know Radiohead is a Talking Heads reference. It's a, t- it's a reference, yeah. But, On uh, Remain right. in Light, apparently the lyric writing was just taking random phrases, kind of mm. spinning them all up, and then like kind of placing them at random in the song. 
And that's kind of what he does on this record a lot. Like, you know, Idiotech specifically saying, like, take the money and run. He's saying women and children first. He's saying, you know, everything happens all the time. Like, uh, yeah. which is such a good line. I, I love that line. But, saying, calm down, idiot, calm down. Yeah. and But it's just like, they're like these kind of sayings that are so ubiquitous that you kind of don't think about it. And apparently they didn't, there's no liner notes for this record. Cause he's like, I don't want the lyrics to be viewed separately from the music. It's just like a very interesting way to kind of present things, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like a, like a, just like a singular piece, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I like, so my favorite songs are actually the first two, you know, it's like you have, you have everything in, in its right place. Mm -hmm. And then the song Kid A, which, you know, I think the, the title, well, it's funny because it reminds me of a kid almost like discovering a new toy. Like there's that beginning mm -hmm. that just sounds so small and like it has like a sweetness to it. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if you even want to pull that up, but yeah, I mean, it just, it just, it reminds me or it makes me think of like this this kid just in the middle of nowhere, like discovering something new. And I feel like in a way that was Tom York making this record because yeah. he was so, he was so done with the idea of rock and roll in general. And kid a was, you know, th this album was such a pivot to that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's very like reading the story behind it and just being so overwhelmed with touring on okay computer and, and all yeah. that newfound kind of fame and just trying like, the idea of like having to follow it up almost like it's a sophomore record, you know, even though it's their fourth, it was just such right. a big shift in their public perception that it's like that overwhelming pressure to kind of repeat that a little bit. And I love that idea, but it's like the only way, like, cause it apparently took like what, 18 months or something to record this record. And there's like, they did sessions all over Europe, like in different, you know, different studios and yeah, all I, that stuff got scrapped. Yeah. I think they like, I think their producer, Nigel Godrich was like, because the band also didn't know what the fuck was going on. Like, I think Tom York like wasn't really being communicative with them and they were like, what, what is this? You know? Yeah. And I think they were almost like breaking up in like smaller sessions with, with different members of the band and i think rather than like regular regular songs they were just recording ideas like mm -hmm. 50 different ideas from however many different sessions from however many studio um studios they were working within like it just sounds like it was a such a rebirth and renewal that it is almost like them starting from ground zero you know? yeah that it's super interesting no one revises this much you know what I mean? Like, I don't know about you. I feel like when I write a song, I write it, it's done. You know what I mean? I don't have to think mm. about it anymore because it's complete. I don't go through and like, well, what if I did this? What if this happened? You know, what if, you know, I, I don't ever right. play what if. And I think that that's like one of the keys to greatness is like the ability to filter something so much that like it becomes bigger than just the song that you started with. If that makes sense. Kind of. I can o elaborate heal. a little bit. I can more? Okay, sure. So, <laughs> uh especially when you listen to Kid A and Amnesiac back to back, like mm -hmm. very similar tones, 
you know, very similar approaches, but like kid a is just vibe exploration. You know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. like they, they, they were, they had songs and then they were just like, what, like, how can we, how can we change this so much that it's not the original piece? You know what I mean? Or how does it flow? It's like one big piece, you know, even the instrumental stuff on this record. Um, I don't know. Just totally, it makes it like its own. You're both just like blank well, stares. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm kind of processing <laughs> the idea of it in terms of, you know, what you were saying about, you know, when we were talking about creativity and like songwriting in particular, mm-hmm. and when you kind of instinctively know that the song is done, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, I wrote a song and I feel good about it. So I'm going to record it or we're going to record it. And that's going to be it, you yeah, know? And Finn. I, I, I think, yeah, I mean with like the creative process, I feel like, you know, there's, there's so many different approaches to it in terms of, you know, the, the person behind the creativity, you know? And I think at the end of the day, the, 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 the singular theme is like trusting your instincts and mm-hmm. making, making what you feel is right in the moment, you know? And I think this is, this is what Tom York and the whole radio camp did. It's like, they made something that, was i mean i'm sure it, it it's so layered and, and so deep in terms of what was going on at the time especially with tom um and what they ended up coming out with and it's kind of cool because i was talking to someone about this recently on my podcast regarding um the the, the elements of of creation and and time and how like when you make something at a particular time and it it becomes what it what it becomes it's a it's i mean i can't really articulate this that well actually so apologies but (laughs) you know just like how you make something at any given moment and that's what it is you know Mm -hmm. like like what you or myself or you know what we would make now will ultimately sound different from what you made 20 years ago Mm -hmm. you know um and then here's a situation with with this record, for example, you know, Kid A, like, it was, I don't know, in a way, I almost feel like it was, like, Tom York getting back to his roots, right? Because I think, historically, like, he was really into that scene already with, like, the whole, um, you know, elect- electronic scene, Warp Records type of stuff. Uh, I think it was Warp Records. Um and he, it's almost like, and the thing is, he they they achieved so much success at that point. They became like one of the biggest rock bands in the world. So like, yeah. it's like, yeah, they could they could afford to pivot so hard that it doesn't matter what happens. But of course, it so happened to be critically acclaimed and all that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of just going off, but just thinking about in terms of trusting instincts with your creation. Yeah. And I think this is also a cool aspect of this record. It's like Tom York could write a fucking great rock song, but he's like, nope. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder, sometimes I, I listen to this record and I wonder, like, there's a lot of casual music fans yeah. that, like, bought Pablo Honey because of Creep, you know, bought The 100%. Bends because of High and Dry, bought OK Computer because of uh, Paranoid at You or yeah, Karma Paranoid Police. Andrew. That was the bigger hit, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
do they do they still come along to Kid A? Like, do, do they do they buy Kid A and go like, I guess national anthem is my song. Like, you know what I mean? Like how many people, cause they couldn't, they're such a massive band that like, there couldn't have been that much of a drop off or like, maybe do you think there was like people who saw them as a, a British rock band that when they put out kid a, were like, okay, there's something way more here, you know? And I, I think as a, a slight aside, like, did it, um, did it become outsider art? I guess like, like appreciated outsider art. It probably That's became a little bit of everything. I think it probably yeah. became a little bit of everything. And, and when you, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, when, when you think no. about someone's catalog that is so expansive and so prolific, you know, I feel like you don't just have one set of fans, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have like your fans and that's it. Like, I feel like there are people and myself included, like to tell you the truth, I wasn't the biggest Radiohead fan until Kid A, you know, like I, of That's course I was familiar, I was familiar with OK Computer and, um, you know, all the records that preceded the Kid A stuff, but it wasn't until that record where I was like, this is fucking incredible. And, mm. and then again, you know, we we're talking about packaging and stuff earlier, like the, the vinyl, like the artwork too, is just something that. Like, like they created a whole new world that I, that, that just resonated with me. So it really wasn't until Kid A that I really paid attention to Radiohead as like a, a true fan, you know? Yeah. And I, Is it true the same guy listener. did all the artwork? Yeah. I love that. The same that. guy from, uh, yeah. like all of it? Yeah. They went to like school together. Yes. Oh, okay. I don't know if he did Pablo Honey, but I knew that like his paintings and stuff were, his, his, yeah. his Photoshop brush packs were, uh. <laughs> everything forward <laughs> and uh, uh, they'll be in the uh, podcast descriptor after the episode yeah, yeah. We, we <laughs> actually, we, the episode that just dropped uh, at, at recording today we talked a lot about the the grunge brush packs uh i only know i only know what that is because of that episode yeah we because so. we we talked about cave-in antenna and i was like oh that yeah. that album cover is very much like f- what photoshop was in 2003 we're like yes. people making brushes <laughs> And it's like, yeah, when you discovered brushes and you just went fucking trigger happy with someone, them. someone in the Instagram comments were like, the grunge pack is what got me my design degree. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that's the case for everybody. It's uh, but yeah. it was like very much. Uh, I love that people connected with that era of, of, of graphic design. <laughs> are, are you, graphic well, I know you're a photographer. Passion. Do you guys do you, do you design? Um, are you talking to me or, or Andrew? Which, uh, well, you do you? You're, you I have you're zero artistic, so this is on you guys. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a photographer by trade, uh, freelance full time. Uh, design does come into that. I I jokingly I had like a MySpace graphic design company that I made people like backdrops and layouts back in the day. Nice. Uh, Entrepreneurial. Hence, I like that. hence hence all of the brush packs and and such. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I I do design work in the sense that I like design all the art for the podcast. I you know design my business cards. I design my website, and you know I mostly it's 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 mostly for myself and not uh, you know I don't pitch that as a separate package. Are you mm-hmm. are you a designer? Yes. Oh okay. Yeah I I. I've I've been freelancing. I've been doing like independent contracting for well over ten years now as okay. a designer slash creative consultant. And in in this duration, I've learned design, but I wouldn't call myself a, a 
a professional designer, but I could I could fake it enough to do all of the things. But <laughs> if you get enough yeah. brush packs, you can do pretty much anything, you know. Hey, it's all about the grunge brush pack, brush pack, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, and and I do all the. Uh, well, I lately I've been doing a lot of the creative or most of the creative for for JD, so it's fun. I mean, I just I just love creating, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's but that's in terms rad. of like the visuals and stuff, um, yeah, like the 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 artist. Um, was it Stanley Donwood or something? He yeah, I believe so. The painter for the Radiohead stuff. I, I I recently actually I saw a video of him and Tom York in his studio. It's so cool. It's mm-hmm. like something for Christie's actually because I think I think okay. they're selling some of this work oh. through Christie's. Um, but it was kind of cool to see their chemistry, you know, because like I feel like Tom York is such a closed off individual, but when you see yeah. him with this person who's like, you know almost like an extended member of the band because they he created this visual world for radiohead um it's kind of a cool watch yeah yeah no i i I love that kind of collaborative thing and i love the idea of just like using the same artist to kind of like you know put the visual to your album output like and just trusting someone with that for your entire discography you know i think that really is a cool relationship to have and it's just like it kind of keeps things consistent in a specific way even though all the album yeah. art is very distinct and different but What's it's kind of like your growing... album cover oh man i don't know that's tough i kind of like the in rainbows cover <laughs> just because i remember that coming out and it being such a big deal um mm. i do yeah. i do have some like like i said a very casual radiohead listener um but there are very specific pop culture Radiohead moments that like permeate my life. Uh, and Andrew was very incredulous about this, but when I said um, just how ingrained the Paranoid Android uh, video is in my head, because mm-hmm. it played on MTV all the time, and it's such a weird yeah. video. And I know it was like it was drawn by like a very specific cartoon artist at the time who had some weird series. Um, Hmm. but that, like that weird video of like the, the guy sitting in the, the light pole and the guy in the weird, like leather thong chopping down the light pole. Oh, now leather thongs are weird. Daniel, come on. You know, know, for me being, you know, how old when that came out in like what? 98. (laughs) 90. Yeah. 98. Uh, Scarred for life. Yeah. I was 11 years old. Um, I was taking bass lessons when that record came out. That's that was my one. Uh, I remember. But I I also remember when uh, Kid A lost Album of the Year at the Grammys to Steely Dan. Mm. And for some reason, I remember <laughs> that, that a lot. Out. And uh, and the other big one that rounded out is even being a casual Radiohead. I wouldn't even say fan before this. Um, Radiohead doing maybe the best SNL performance during this era of uh of this mm. album cycle because they did uh national anthem they did idiotech on snl and it like i i must have watched it when comedy central would like syndicate snl all the time and it it just stuck with me and just mm. just watching um oh my god forgive me i forget their guitarist name but johnny greenwood yeah yeah him playing the and martineau on TV, we're sliding his finger mm-hmm. and making all the crazy, like, you know, pitch bend sounds and things like that. I was like, what the fuck is this? And, yeah. you know, Tom York just freaking the fuck out at the end of Idiotech. And it's just like, 
holy shit. I gotta say, the the Ond Martineau is, like, the other star of this record. Um, which, uh, are, are you guys familiar with, with the Ond Martineau? Because I went down a rabbit hole. It's, well, because it's, it's, is that... I actually don't know specifically. It looks like stuff a theremin that, to me. That's right, why right. I did. Like Greenwood is always like sitting at the, at that thing. And yeah, he's like just making. It, so apparently, crazy it's shit appeared happen. on every Radiohead record since this one. Um, and he also is credited for essentially resuscitating this instrument from like going into extinction. So wow. it is. There were two people creating instruments of this time this is like the mid 1920s uh and they were based off radio transistor or radio vacuum tubes uh that were trying to harness the oscillations of military radios <laughs> and and one of those was the theremin and one of those was the uh the on martineau and the on martineau is a lot more um precise in finding the frequencies than you know using a xy axis of a theremin and um, apparently it appeared in some, like, orchestral kind of composed pieces in, like, 1928 and things like that. But yeah. it's, it's literally a, it's a monophonic synthesizer, essentially, where the early one you played, you put your finger in, like, a ring, and it slides yeah. on, um, on, like, a pulley system with little indents in the fingerboard to kind of give you a reference of where you are on the keyboard. And there's kind of, like, a just a keyboard i don't know a non-playable keyboard in the original version to kind of show you where you are in the pitch scale and then the left hand there's a drawer that slides out with little modulators and an attack button that like gives you essentially access like a volume pedal and you kind of depress that in a way while articulating with your right hand where on the on the pitch board you are and he apparently found uh, a later model of that. There's been like seven variations or so. And he had a different company commission one that he was able to like take on tour that wouldn't wow. get like destroyed. I was immediately thinking like, what happens if that thing breaks? Yeah. The radio, yeah. Radio apparently the, sound the, is dead. the son of the guy who invented it made a digital version that I think is what he had no originally way. got his hands on. And then he had some synthesizer company commissioned to remanufacture one that he could like take on tour uh but yeah it's been on every release since there's been a bunch of companies that have then made their own uh it's insane it's such a cool it there's, like there's some you really know you got clout when you could uh have something commissioned or like <laughs> yeah right well, know, that, resurrect an yeah, entire instrument that's line. that's like, kind of the thing is like they they kind of had all the money and the resources in the world at the time after coming sure. off okay computer but like they right. credit that to essentially like being the the motive like the driving musical motivation of this record, and like kind of like what dug them out of the hole because like they use it for, uh, they run his vocals for it on the song Kid A, and a couple other things. Oh, they're running vocals through it too. That's yeah. Crazy. So it what's even cooler this this thing it came with three different speakers. One of them was a standard standard speaker, but also with a resonator built in. One of them was called the Palm that had 12 strings in all the different semitones on the outside. So when the, the music would play through, it would also ring the semitone string. And then there was another hmm. one that was played through a gong that gave it like a metallic ring out. 
So they were able to run his vocals through that and then through those different speakers to get kind of these weird metallic tinged outputs. And Mm -hmm. I I, like I said, I went down a fucking rabbit hole and it's a cool instrument. It's really cool. And 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 it has these certain attack features that don't exist on other synthesizers or things like that like it's it's very specific and it was made in the 1920s it's insane i I had to look up how you're i had to look up how you're saying that word oh yeah it's uh uh, it's technically on des martinat but it's french that's the on de martinet that sounds more difficult to say than my last name i'm not even gonna try (laughs) yeah 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 it's uh Um, but that's pretty sick though where where did you find that like where did you dig to i mean it's it's in the wikipedia about the record for sure but there's a lot of people like a lot of stuff on um about the instrument on youtube and stuff and i mean he he's such a fan that he apparently composed his own piece that's to be played on two of them um he also uses it a lot when he does his um like, like movie stuff. movie scores and things mm-hmm. like that it it became yeah, a, a yeah. big instrument in like the kind of harrowing uh, sci-fi kind of sound of like like in the place of a theremin during like what you think of like old 1960s 70s sci-fi stuff it's cool it it's it's a really cool fucking instrument and uh, interesting the guy cool. the guy who uh, Maurice Montenot who uh who created it wanted to create a uh, a transistor based instrument that had the expressiveness of a cello. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. And okay, so uh, before we go too deep on on this specific piece of no, the puzzle, this just became an Andes Martinot. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, so what was the guitarist's name again? Johnny Greenwood. Johnny yeah. Greenwood. Yeah, yeah. So and then Colin, Colin something. Yeah, Johnny Greenwood. In in uh, there's actually a a video on on YouTube about how he like saved the instrument. But he talks about it in an interview. He says, "I was never a singer. I could never sing, and I was always like envious of singing. And this device is like is the closest thing to having a voice. Is like how he described it. <laughs> sure, which is Fucking cool. Genius." <laughs> So yeah, it's super uh, cool. yeah, everyone search out that video. It, it's really Just get a fretless bass, bro. That's the easiest <laughs> way. Yeah. So it yeah, it is, is like a mixture on? between like a, a cello and a theremin <laughs> and a synthesizer. And uh, yeah, it's it's a wild thing. Apparently, like a Japanese country uh, company put one out in called like the Ondomo, mm. and it, it's it reacts in a very similar way. But it's it's crazy. It's a really cool cool device and like i said it's colored every record that they've put out since so yeah and i I love the idea that the first track on this record uh everything in its place was the first song they recorded for the record and they basically said like once that was done we kind of knew our direction so it kind of has like a double meaning you know totally yeah it's um I love all that knowledge you just dropped. That's impressive. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's I didn't know you were capable right of that, to be honest. I, I did some research. Like I said, it was uh, there's so much lore to the band in general, you know? And that's, well, that's kind of thing. And that's always what kind of scared me away a little bit. Like when a band has this deep of a, a history and a, a discography and, and a fan base, like it's hard to know when to jump in, you know? I totally agree. And that's actually why. I thought it would be a good idea to talk about it because, you know, uh, there is so much to, to learn and to, you know, to discover with this band. And I, I almost, I almost deliberately didn't do sort of like a, 
like a like a intentional deep dive on it uh-huh. to almost come at it from just almost like a fan who listens to it and kind of you know just get something from the 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 direct transaction of, of pressing play and mm-hmm. listening to it and and kind of acknowledging what it what it what it's done for me or or just sort of you know how it's resonated with me but then yeah i mean i've i've definitely um i don't know i've always been drawn to their mysteriousness and just like how deep they're I mean, they're just so, they're some of the most incredible, um, they are some of the most sophisticated musicians on the planet right now. And to what you just kind of explained about this, this particular instrument that Johnny Greenwood is using is, is just, just one example, you know, it's like, who would even think to resurrect an instrument like that and put it on an album that's already, you know, super risky in terms of its creative direction. They like... They just didn't hold back. I think that's what I love about them. They just, they fucking do it how they want to do it. And, um, what, uh, they, what they, indie label put this out? I think it was XL. Okay. I think a lot of their stuff is on XL. Yeah. I, which is I also pretty crazy. That, uh, too, because they had a lot of problems with, uh, when they Capital. were on the major, right? And still, like, that era yeah. of just everyone, like, all that stuff changing hands and not, mm-hmm. um, who just someone just bought out their back catalog too Uh-oh. that re-put everything out i mean like they in a, radioheads yeah because a, a label folded and i forget what it was it might have i don't think it was xl but uh, capital put this out apparently yeah but then capital got absorbed or or was did the absorbing well, it's probably all under like Universal or something. Yeah, I think that's what part of it was. And UMG. I think it might have been BMG actually, or, or UMG or Universal Music Group. Maybe it is BMG. I don't. I don't know that. So I don't. You know, that's like a whole other realm. Oh, of they the were music on EMI, business, you know? which is a classic British oh, right. thing to EMI, be a part yeah. of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but yeah there was there was a weird thing where yeah emi got bought out and then their their stuff got transitioned a lot and then um xl did a lot of it and yeah there was some some weird thing but i think eventually because something happened where they got they finally got the rights or like maybe xl finally got the rights and they like got rid of <laughs> mm-hmm. the weird compilation like the best of radiohead like disappeared off of yeah. streaming I, and things I, like that i tried to look up what you're talking about uh-huh. and i found a website boysetsfire.net <laughs> that <laughs> is not what you think apparently okay. it's a no. uh there's a whole thing about um, the use of Radiohead's music, understanding the legal implications <laughs> oh, uh, okay. that someone wrote in December 5th of 2022. But net is an unofficial fan site of Boysets Fire. Boysets Fire is in quotes. Oh, my God. Very curious about what I'm about to dig into wow. when we're done. So, actually... There's a fucking fan site. They Jesus left. They Christ. left EMI, and that's when they did it in Rainbows. So, apparently, they've released everything. Oh, right. They've released do everything. Do you remember when In Rainbows came out? I do. That was peak... It was pay what you want? That was peak me going yeah, to Prince Direct Exchange. And... In rainbow shit was everywhere. Yeah, but like before that, when it was pay what you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when that was such a big deal. 
And it I think was. I think my friend I mean, was, was actually it, working at the record store at the time, and yeah, people were like losing their minds. Uh, yeah. Do you think uh, I loved when they when they did that? I was gonna say, do you think it was a good or a bad thing for the music industry? Because it essentially launched the Bandcamp model, essentially. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, when you uh, talk about disrupting the T-shirt industry, uh, it's the same thing, you know. It's <laughs> the T-shirt like, space. Uh, I, the T-shirt space, exactly. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was a badass move on their part because they they basically took matters into their own hands, mm-hmm. um, and they they cut out all of the shit that you know Tom York's been talking about forever, just with like the the record companies and the corporations and these people just trying to get their hands on everything. They're like, "Fuck you!" Apparently, <laughs> it, what you you know it drew criticism from uh, Lily Allen and Kim Gordon. Yeah, sure it did. People who are on major labels, fuck them. Who cares? Look, they're just jealous. I think that there's a certain point where it makes sense for your your band to just put your own records out. You know what I mean? Like, and if you're Radiohead, that's the point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was talking to uh, someone last week, uh, a guest on the Microspy upcoming episode. I really want to share it with you guys, but I'm. I'm not gonna, but he's a badass. <laughs> Wait, when does um, it come out? I, I still need to cut it. <laughs> I'm oh, gonna okay. try and release. I don't know. Are you guys on a schedule? Well, you guys are pros. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We're, we're on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, this will be out Tuesday. I need, cons- I need to consult with you guys. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> well, I we, need to get we, better on the schedule. Yeah, we'll open up the RITG consulting firm. That's a different. It's a different <laughs> line item. Good. But we, I'll we be can your talk. first customer. Perfect. Um, but 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 I was so so we were talking about um. How these days, uh, you know, you don't, you don't really need like the, the, the big label to get quote unquote to the top. Cause like mm-hmm. in a traditional sense, almost like pre-internet, you know, getting to the top was signing to a major, signing all your rights away for a lump sum of money. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the videos hit on TV and you, you start playing stadiums or something like that. You know, that's dumbing it down. But you know, this day and age, you can put out your own music you can record a decent track and um you know have no middleman to uh, in terms of dis- distrib- distribution platforms it's just so much easier to put your music out now i mean obviously these companies have huge are huge marketing machines and they're they're basically banks but if if i don't know i guess there's pros and cons to to working with labels but essentially you know, major labels don't give a fuck about you. They just want to commoditize your art and um, make as much money as possible. And they don't give a shit how they're going to do it. And do you so, think that's every industry where there's like... Capitalism? <laughs> yeah, or it's just... I, I'm trying to think of like any industry where there's like an independent marketplace for it. Like the larger marketplace just doesn't give a fuck. No, I mean that's when you're that's when you're talking like, you know, business at scale, like huge business. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think it's become so sterile and systematic, you know. And that's, I mean, there's 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 stuff that gets through those, there, you know, in terms of art and music. There's stuff that gets put into those systems and it thrives and it does really well. I mean, Radiohead is a prime example of that, you know, leading up to Kid A. Um, you know, the EMIs and the capitals of the world, but it's—I think it's a tough one because I think a lot of creative people they make compromises to fit in that mold 
so they can get their stuff through those channels. You know, like I think there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote popular artists who probably sacrifice a lot in terms of their creative vision. I mean, I think there's a lot of people too, or, or, you know, artists, quote unquote, who can just sing really well and they let the record label put an image onto them and they sell that image and sell that, that single. And then that's it, you know, but I think when you're, you know, in an actual band or you, you have something that is more than just like driving units or money. It's like, you don't want anyone touching your shit. I think that's what Radiohead totally did. I mean, of course they were at a different scale and different level, but I think the philosophy is sort of the same where, where, I mean, Tom York, I mean, publicly, he was like struggling with the fact that he became so famous. The fact that, you know, this idea of being a rock and roller, he was like, like, you know, that's, I mean, that's why he just fucking pivoted. And, um, I don't know. Like I, I, I've, you know, I've never gotten to that level. So I don't know. I think it, I think it changes the landscape of what you're willing to, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind, kind of, of a similar thing compromise to like and Nirvana, just like the idea of just totally. like unwanted sort fame, of. uh, getting kind of pigeonholed into like being the face of a, of a generation or a movement and just kind of being like, well, I, I kind of just want to make music. I don't want everything else. You know, do you think Nirvana would have made an art rock record though? I mean, what do you mean? If Nevermind wasn't so popular? No, no, no. Could- I mean like. You know, uh, the record after In Utero would have been a fourth album. Like, do you oh, think there oh. would have been a crazy left turn? Like, do you think, do you think that that lineup of Nirvana would have been able to produce like their kid something? A. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, Get really I, into I, I DJ Shadow and, and I really twin. hesitate <laughs> to say something like more because I don't know that that's. You know, I, that's I don't. I mean, it's that's a, it's saying thing we'll never something know. like minimizing about the art that they made. Their but, fourth record could have yeah. sound like Foo Fighters. You know, I don't. Well, I don't know. I just i i th- I think a lot about like what radio had accomplished, like isn't done anywhere else that I like in my that I can recall. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's I why. Mean, it's, but you, well, I was going to say, uh, you know, there, I do see some parallels regarding, you know, the popularity and success of Nevermind and how mm. they went straight to Steve Albini's uh, studio afterwards and made... True. I was going to say, yeah, In Utero, in Utero could yeah, have been the their best art rock record. record, you know? It kind of I mean, like, was in a way. Of, it sort of is, but there's, I mean, there's still singles on I mean, there. anytime you, you know have to... I mean? There's not a Anytime you have to consult Kid Steve a. Albini, that, that is a fuck you to somebody in the world, you know? No, that's true. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. Nirvana was actually going to be the other one I was going to put in front of you guys. because I'm I, I, I actually, I didn't decide, but I, I was thinking about In Utero, potentially. Yeah. Um, in but, Utero's but, yeah, I mean, the only one I go back to. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think as, and I've yeah, famously like if I'm going to listen to it, an I would, entire Nirvana record, so. Fam- yeah, famously. That's what people know about knows. me. Um, I... I love Nirvana. Um, I I think their story is a thing where they were an underground punk band where, you know, 
like pop culture came to them in a way, even though I think Kurt ha- had ambitions to be like the biggest band in the world. I don't think he really, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they, maybe they were like on a fucking war path to do that where he was mm-hmm. low key, but you know, they were still touring in a 15 passenger van when, uh, their, when Nevermind went gold, you know, in like yeah. a few weeks or something. I think they had initially talked about pressing 50,000 records, a low 50,000 records, but then like they sold 500,000 records <laughs> yeah. and like, two or three months and um you know the rest is history i mean it's it's wild to think and actually i i'm sure we have to wrap it up i I know we're we're on for a minute but i'm thinking about you you know what you're talking about regarding um you know the mid-2000s and that era and like how there was a label who was putting out these bands that kind of got lost in sort of the myspace Mm -hmm. land and um you know uh what what am i saying oh so so in terms of like the popularity of bands like nirvana um obviously that is on such a like enormous scale of of recognition but when you think about you know just underground music punk music hardcore music anything that's that's not you know that's not in the, the the pop realm but it's still it's you know the underground music basically um I'm kind of losing my train of thought, but I'm just thinking about how I think especially now when you have access to everything, it's really cool how there's a lot of people making concerted efforts, even including like you guys doing this podcast and talking, you know, with, with, you know, your, your, all your guests, all the different people who are making cool shit out there. I mean, that's the stuff at the end of the day that to me, like rises to the top in terms of cultural impact. I mean, of course, there's stuff in like in the pop realm that have major cultural impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, but in terms of like our environment, our space, our landscape of, um, you know, creativity, creation, music, community, philosophy, you know, DIY ethic for sure. Um, I love that we're still we're we're talking about this shit in 2023 when basically everything is accessible. Everything could be known yeah. at the drop of a hat. And like people well, are still, you know. That that is something we have discussed on the podcast before, and I do find it super fascinating with like the current generation of new music, um, yeah, where everything is so accessible to where your influences can come from all spectrums of the music world, mm-hmm. and and that's something that was kind of. Uh, you know, around the time we were growing up, we had to be more selective, almost from a monetary factor just like we couldn't afford to buy all the cds in the store we had to find the bands that we liked or the bands that toured with the bands we liked or the bands that on the labels that we liked and those were kind of the filters that held us exploring other music but it was still like in a very fine channel Mm -hmm. and now you could listen to drake and then you could put on, you know, the soundtrack to a video game, and then you could switch directly to Minor Threat, and those can all be your influences, because they're all equally accessible to each other. And that's mm-hmm. where I think you get a lot of bands, like I said, there's bands that are now kind of pulling from the Sasscore world, and the weird, like, scene music world of, like, the mid-2000s, and, you know, then pulling from New York Hardcore, and making this weird amalgamation of, you know, you know, heavy music, or you can go the other way and, and look at like bands like 100 Gex or something like that, and like the hyper pop realm, who literally like they're making weird noise rock 
that also has ska parts that also has rap parts and it all comes together into like this jumbled mess that still is music you know and sounds and it, exhausting it, i mean it is and <laughs> but i mean have you seen the uh the attention span of, of the some of the younger generation you know it's it you need Mm-mm. music that is all over the place to maintain interest but you sound like an old man i am an old man <laughs> I actually, I when when 100 Gex clicked for me, I was like, oh, I get it. It's just it's just catchy music. But that's like the end of the the line for that. Like the the out the final when the music gets pushed through the final little shoot at the end, it's catchy. But everything else that gets made into it makes no sense, you know. Hmm. But yeah. it's there are no limits now everything is equally accessible every recorded piece of music on the planet is as easy to find as a beatles record i wish i mean somewhat some of the music of the of the jerome's dream era gets a little tough to find sometimes but that's what soul seek is for you <laughs> hey, know there's the discography there um <laughs> i there's a there's a uh, a 100 words for snow seven inch that i've been trying to track down the songs on forever <laughs> i could probably um, find them for you yeah just just follow us on instagram for updates you know drums dream forever uh check out our tour dates um you know record comes out may 5th i don't know yeah we're stoked i mean there's there's a single out there now called stretched invisible from london um streaming everywhere so yeah i mean we're just slowly rolling it rolling it out we have another song coming out very soon we'll make an announcement for that um another another song off the album and uh yeah i really i really can't wait to share this one this record and this is this is like the truth. This is not like some marketing shit. Like I, I'm, I've never been more proud of a piece of music than this record that we made, and the iron, the irony of it being made and written during a pandemic. You know. So again, silver linings of a fucked up time. Hell yeah, I love that. This was awesome. <laughs> Sick. Uh, but yeah, everyone, everyone should check that out. I'm glad. I'm glad you had a good time. Uh. You can check me out at Dambassini on Twitter and Instagram, dambassini.com. Uh, my latest book, No Invite Volume 9, is available. No Invite Volume 10 is in the works, uh, so watch the space. I don't want to turn this uh, into an Andrew, episode of Otherworld or anything, but I, I, I just saw something very large move in my periphery, and I'm freaking the fuck out right now. That's why I keep looking over, like, what the motherfuck was that? I was, it, I was like, it looked like something that was like very larger than a person. That, like, it blocked the light for a second. I almost want to watch back wow. to see if I die, there's something going on. God, I, I just bought a house. I want to get the fuck out of this weird place. Okay, well, you can follow me on. <laughs> You can see my eulogy on uh, at my spro called life. Um, Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, I, got, I got nothing I else this. besides fucking blowing my uh, brains out right yeah, now. We have a Patreon. Run it. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com slash run into the ground. I think there's about five or six episodes already up that will unlock once you pay your measly $5 a month. Uh, that's where our solo episodes with just me and andrew circling back 
some other fun episodes. We also have a monthly playlist that we allow you to listen to. Uh, but yeah, five bucks a month. Uh, run to the ground on Instagram. Run in number to the ground on Twitter. Follow us everywhere. Yeah, this is a good one. Eric, fucking blast. This Guys, is such a good conversation. Mm, this was super I'm fun. A, I'm a Radiohead convert now, so I've, I've been listening through the rest See, of the... See, that's the success right there. You, you know? You, you've been converted. I honestly have been waiting for someone to bring it up for me to actually take the time to listen to it like this, and uh, I appreciate it. It's It's been it's been wild. Yeah, super cool. Hell yeah. Yes, it's great. So, uh, yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for hanging. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, are, are everyone, uh, MicroSpy. Your other podcast. Oh, yeah. Your podcast. Yeah. Speaking of podcasts, if you like podcasts, listen to mine, <laughs> MicroSpy. There's some good episodes coming up. Yeah. Um, your, your guest yeah, list. I'm really, I'm really excited about it. It's incredible. So. Oh, thank you. I mean, to me, it's kind of like the low-hanging fruit. It's just, I guess that's the, the perk of being an old hardcore kid. Oh, is having access to other old hardcore we, kids. We flex those connections every fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best yeah yeah just having but, having um, old friends yeah. on and people we 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 look up to from the past so it's great that's so, that's what it's all about. yourself so included thanks for having me on and of course yeah i mean it's, it's appreciated i always love i always love talking shop i always love uh you know just meeting meeting fellow fellow friends from far away hell yeah you know, new friends and so yeah this was great i really appreciate uh, it appreciate your time everybody else bye-bye bye-bye Oh my god, I'm gonna fucking die, dude.